Some label Sido Berahino as a wasted talent, a what could have been, so to speak, but his ability to become a professional footballer is nothing short of remarkable. Born in a war-torn Burundi in its then capital, Bujumbura, Berahino lost his father during the Burundian Civil War and had to travel to England alone to be reunited with his mother and sister. But it was football that helped him settle in England's second largest city, Birmingham, and he soon caught the eyes of scouts, signing for West Bromwich Albion in 2004. Sido had overcome a Hollywood set of circumstances to become a shining star for an emerging Premier League team. With extracts from a 2021 interview, this documentary looks at the career of Sido Berahino, but also the struggles of a young footballer struggling to mature in the public spotlight. We discuss his decision to go to Belgium and the highs and lows of his career in England and the events that followed his dramatic exit of West Bromwich Albion. And then a reflection on his return to English football with Sheffield Wednesday, what brought it about and the lessons he's learned to get back to... Sider Berahino is playing in the first division of Belgian football, which is only adding to the failed wonderkid narrative that has played his career. Myself, Max Palermo and my cousin Domenico Palermo secured an interview that hadn't been done by any West Bromwich Albion podcast or any mainstream media since the end of his career in England. Welcome to a personal and honest documentary of Sider Berahino, the redeemed footballer. He was convincing me to come and just enjoy my football again and just have a smile on my face, which was more important than going to play for a big league or a yeah. club and just be probably miserable and not getting, not getting off game time. So I came here, he gave me complete um, uh, backing and he had my back and I just had a had a good good seven months. We had a good mm. run in the league, we're doing well in a cup and then obviously COVID hit, the season was cut short. So I think we finished ninth or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people, when a lot of people see like where you're playing, they might think like that you're there for a different reason. But the way I've seen it, and the way I've seen you in different interviews, is if you've there was a conscious move to go somewhere that you would actually love playing football, and sort of not not have to deal with as much as in the English game. Was that a thing in your head, not having to deal with sort of the English media moving over to uh, a different country? Yeah, hundred percent. That was one of the reasons why I left England. It was just because of that. It was just the the media side and. I think um, a lot of people don't understand how much effect he had in my career. Um, obviously, yeah. it was well documented after the Tottenham move, uh, mm. which I think as nobody's heard my side of the story. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, that was pretty much it. It's just the media side of it completely killed me and I couldn't live with it at the time. So I think now I'll be well equipped, but back then it was a bit different. 
Yeah, I think people, people especially in the media and stuff like that, sort of forget there's obviously footballers get paid a certain amount of money, they get paid a wage, and they they feel as if they they don't treat them as humans. Whereas I think there is still a human aspect to footballers and such an intense media spotlight on someone, especially as young as you were when the Tottenham sort of thing happened and uh, and that sort of um, stuff going on. You're 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 fairly young and you're still a human. You're still adapting, and I don't think people take that into consideration. Yeah, definitely. And you know, people just forget that um, we as human as them, we we live in the same twenty four hours as everybody else. Yeah, uh, we have emo- like feelings, emotions, and stuff like that. But I mean, it's part of the game. You know, you you, you quite you you kind of learn that from the academy days how uh, the media might treat you. But until you actually get hit with it, you don't really understand it. So yeah. I had a great lesson. With it. Don't don't get it wrong. Like I was f- fully depressed at Stoke, and yeah. they knew about it and they tried to help. Um, but obviously, we could, nothing could have been done at the time. Um, but yeah, just me now. Just obviously playing. There's barely any paparazzi here I've, I've not made one head bad headline since i've been mm-hmm. here um so it's just it just helps you know when you play with a clear mind and you're just enjoying your football every day it's just fantastic and I've, I've i don't think about anything else but just enjoying my game every day how training. How, how have you changed side do you think since you left albion do you reckon that you've changed fundamentally as a person what are the differences between a so a 21-year-old Sider to Sider Berahino nowadays? I'm a father now, so that's played a massive role yeah. into my life. You know what I mean? Um, I, I see things differently. I, I have, I think carefully before I do something, um, just because I've been on the other end of the, the, the tunnel, so I know how it is to just act reckless or to be involved in something that you don't want to be involved in. So mm-hmm. I think now... You, you, I'm almost seen as a senior player and where I am now there's other youngsters that look because I play in the Premier League and other senior guys they look at me different just because I play in the Premier League so they do come to me sometime for advice or sometime with something they're going through so I, I've been given that responsibility and I've absolutely just grabbed you both hands really and, and tried yeah. to behave uh, like a top professional this Premier League experience started in 2013, and the highs never seemed to stop. League Cup hat-tricks and goals against Arsenal in the same competition, Sardar Berahino was making a name for himself, and began to start games for West Bromwich Albion. But for some, his true breakthrough was against Manchester United, and after a prolific scoring start, Sardar Berahino, once a young boy fleeing a war-torn country, was selected to represent the England national team. You play against Manchester United on the 28th of September and you, you score your first Premier League goal against them at Old Trafford as the winning goal. Can you walk us through sort of the emotions during the game but also after you score? Um, I remember I remember that game really well. I was on the bench and then um, Scott Sinclair got injured mm. and I got the nod and, and I wasn't ready. I didn't have no shin pads on so it, it didn't start well. <laughs> I had nothing on. <laughs> then the, the, the manager was because we're 10 men down uh, one man down the manager was kind of going crazy he was like hurry up get on <laughs> I had no real <laughs> I had no real warm up so I got in went into went into it started pretty well a couple of few touches good touches um, got had an opportunity with a header missed it then 
then a half time he went absolutely crazy at me i don't know if he did it to to get the other players to like kind of wake up or not but he yeah. was like i'm putting you on but i believe in you you gotta give me more da, 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 da. And i was like geez so second half came so we started brilliant we scored a fantastic goal and then i scored mine and i completely just went blank i don't remember the celebrations i don't remember nothing i just i just went like i couldn't believe it and he sank in after the game really that's why i went crazy after the game and i, I watched the game back about 100 times i think got a full england cap after sort of banking goals for the under 21s i think you're right at the top of the list for highest under 21 england goal scorers mm. what was it like yeah. to get that full england cap call up and be around that squad it was amazing it was amazing for me just just being there and training with with the with the likes of Wayne Rooney and stuff. It was fantastic, and we we had like a, a good team at the time, like Lampard, Gerrard, Ashley Cole. It was just amazing. It was absolutely amazing to be around it. And it, for me, obviously, I, I wished I had some minutes because we were winning yeah. comfortably in in them games. Um, but Roy just felt that um, maybe I wasn't ready for for the for the for that opportunity. But it was fantastic just to be in and around it. It just showed what, um, what obviously, what by working hard and doing well on the pitch, you will get rewarded for it. Why do Why do you reckon Roy didn't think it was your opportunity at the time? Because I remember as an Albion fan at the time um, having conversations with people and going, oh, "Sider Berahino's banging in the goal. Sider Berahino's just as good as say Harry Kane is, and Harry Kane's getting his yeah. his call up to the England squad." Why do you reckon that didn't materialise? really don't know you know um i think roy had that thing where he he always um had a certain amount of players that he always uses and mm. the new ones um just in the squad but they don't really play uh, yeah i think me i think for, for him he just wanted to reward me with what i've done first and then bring me gradually into the into the team uh but that year the 21s were going for uh, europe championship qualifiers so I couldn't be involved with the seniors as much as I would, I would like to because we were fighting to, to qualify that summer for the 21s, mm. and which we we did. And obviously, I was I was a bit disappointed because I got injured in that tournament, so I couldn't really feature in it. But I think that's what ended up happening because we had important games in the 21. I couldn't be involved as much as I would I would have liked to for for the senior team. It's all well and good you hearing the narrative of Sider Berahino's story. Extracts from an interview with two guys who were really happy to interview Sido and obviously wanted to keep him on side can only give you one angle of a story. Let's get an honest opinion from some West Bromwich Albion fans. Louis Bent is a West Bromwich Albion fan and journalist whose main focus is, of course, the Albion. Let's shift perspective and listen to this fan's opinion. I think Sido was a fantastic player for us. Uh, it's always great to see an academy player or one of your own coming out and kind of getting the minutes in the first team. But not only that, uh, showing the ability that, that, that warrants having a Premier League place up front. And I think he's probably one of the most naturally gifted finishers I've seen in an Albion shirt um, throughout, during my lifetime. And although maybe his exit leaves a bit of a bad bad taste in, in the mouth of a lot of Albion fans, I do believe that he's genuinely remorseful um, about his time and maybe was a little bit badly advised in terms of uh, what to do in that situation. And yeah, I, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I did really like him as a player and I was really sad to see him go, but 
yeah, he's 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 definitely a player that um, uh, ability wise is 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 one of the best that, that that we've had come out of the academy for sure. A mostly positive reflection. A what could have been, but oh well, from Louis. It was good while it lasted. Many Albion fans agree. Things didn't go to plan, but maybe they weren't all Sido's fault. He was a young kid. He may not have had the best advice. Who knows? But it's not the most popular opinion amongst West Bromwich Albion fans. There are still many out there that are negative about Sido Berahino. Our next contributor, Baggy's Bulletin, who's a prominent West Bromwich Albion content creator and blogger, isn't as negative as some of these West Bromwich Albion fans, but definitely doesn't pull any punches. He offers what is perhaps the harsher reality of Saido Berahino's West Bromwich Albion career. What can I say about Saido Berahino? I think the first thing that probably comes to mind is such a wasted talent. I know that sounds really harsh. When he broke through at West Brom, I genuinely believed we had a superstar in the making. I've been a WBA supporter for over 25 years, and whilst I've seen many a top player pull on the blue and white stripes, the amount of players we've had where I've genuinely thought they had the ability to go on and reach the very top are few and far between, but Berahino was definitely one of them. I remember some. I remember taking some mates to the game against Man United in 2014, where we drew 2-2 at the Hawthorns, and he scored a fantastic goal and put on a superb display. And my mates were asking afterwards, who the hell was that? And that was the kind of player he was. He got you on the edge of your seat and had natural goal-scoring ability. Not long afterwards, he obviously made the England senior squad, but that was obviously when things started to go wrong. He said got turned by bigger fish, most notably Spurs, and he ended up falling out with Jeremy Peace and got frozen out. And his career took a nosedive ever since then. No one fully knows, obviously, what went on. Some Albion fans have been quick to judge, but ultimately, most definitely could have reached the very top, I personally feel, if things had played out differently. Like I say, it's just such a shame, in my opinion, as the club could have gone on to potentially produce one of England's star strikers for years to come. And if he'd stayed with the club a little longer before making that step up, we could have potentially gone on to much bigger things ourselves also. So what did happen? And what was this transfer interest from Tottenham Hotspur? It was inevitable that transfer interest would follow a promising young English striker. It's, it's common in football now. Sido was widely criticised for the way he dealt with the situation, but was it he himself? Or was that the narrative pushed? He didn't help himself with tweets and overall misconduct and how he, as Bulletin put it, was eventually froze out. But it occurs to many that there must have been more to this saga and why it affected Sardar Berahino much. Let's hear it in his own words. The reason why they wanted so much money is because obviously everybody knew that at the time Jeremy Pierce wanted to sell the club. Mm. So I was an asset to the club when I was valued at a certain amount of price. And if they didn't get that, um, then obviously they can't sell they can't sell me but at the time they were almost playing games with um with daniel levy they were saying yeah give us this we'll let him go give us this and every time we reached that target it was almost like no we want it in in food we want it in this just making it really difficult until they got mm-hmm. exactly what they wanted and for me i was left in the dark because nobody was communicating with my agent or myself it was almost like just play don't worry about what we're doing yeah. Um, so it was hard for me to take uh, to 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 take, and from the tweet you can see, obviously the tweet was bad enough, but you can see that I didn't say I will never play for West Brom again. I that uh, I said 
that well, I don't want to play for Jeremy because I didn't like the way he was treating me or my mum because we had a meeting and he was almost like, look, you're my player, you do what I say and yeah. let me do with the rest. So that's why I said I don't, I don't want to play for Jeremy, not West Brom again. But um, for me, it was difficult because I was young and my family wasn't really equipped for, for these type of experiences and I had no one close enough to... To just tell me, you know what, like, just get your head down, just focus on your football and leave the rest to to the clubs. And I mean I, I regret I regret the tweet. Um obviously he he gave me bad blood with the fans and stuff. He made mm. it difficult for me to then find my, my form again and, and just have that clear head on which I could play. Um yeah, so I mean it was it was difficult it was a very, very difficult period for me. Um, I hated every moment of it because I lost, I, I lost the the motivation and kind of what yeah. I love doing every day, you know. Yeah, I think what a lot of people can see, and I think what a lot of fans what I saw was just, you know, a, a you know this big number floating around of trans like what the transfer would be, a big club like Tottenham, uh, and a young guy like yourself, and they just thought that you you yourself were trying to force the move, and when it didn't happen, you were annoyed at that. And obviously, yeah. a, a big thing we sort of preach on the podcast is that. Sometimes as fans, we need to take things with a grain of salt because mm. we're not privy to certain things. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the football club that we don't know, mm. you know, in the board and on the training ground. Um, and what you said and what, you know, what we can see is that it was kind of apparent to that was that that the deal was there, and but you just didn't know what was going on. Mm. And you were just told certain things that might not have been true. We were, were you trying to, we we you know, obviously the the move came for Tottenham and at the time Tottenham had, were under Maurizio Pochettino, they had a lot of success. You know, there was a there was a, a case to be made that obviously they had a lot of European football as well. Um, I mean, w- how actively were you trying to pursue that move, Sido? Was it a case of just leave it to the agent, see what he says, or were you quite involved in, in trying to get that move done? Not not at all. I wasn't involved. I'd, obviously, I've spoken to Tottenham. I don't know what they think of me. Um, my agent just knew that there was a there was an interest there and the both teams were actually actively speaking. Obviously, mm. me and my agent had no clue what was going on. Uh, so after a few attempts of of um, bidding, being rejected, they kept going. Tottenham kept going, kept going, kept going until they gave up. And yeah. we just, we weren't, in, we weren't involved at all. You know what I mean? And at the time, my contract was running out. So um, they were, West Brom were kind of trying to give me a new contract and put a buyout clause there, so it benefits them, and which I fully understand. And at the time, I was a bit confused with my with where my career was going, so I didn't want to commit to something. So for them to just sell me after a couple of months because it makes no sense, you know what I mean? Mm. It looks bad on you, doesn't it? As if you, as exactly. if like you're willing to. It looks as if you're trying to dedicate your career exactly. to West Brom, and the fans will be really overjoyed, but. Then if you yeah. if someone triggers that buyout clause and you you leave it leaves you in a bit of a a bad position as if you've given up. Um, do you, do you feel like you were misrepresented during all this with that media coverage and what was put out about you? Yeah, hundred percent. And and don't get me wrong, I didn't help with with, mm. with yeah. the tweets with the performance afterwards. I didn't help. But the the most thing that I'll probably say I look back and regret doing was just losing that connection with the fans. Yeah, Albion. You know, um, he put me in a really bad spotlight, and it was difficult for me then to sometimes even get at the house and just because I lived in uh, not far from West Brom. Sometimes I'll see the fans, and you can just see the evil eyes, and 
you know, the the judging yeah. mumbling around me. So it was difficult. It was a difficult time for me and my family. After such a tumultuous transfer saga, Sardar Berahino struggled in a West Bromwich Albion shirt. No further England call-ups and scoring would befall this still young Sardar Berahino. Fractured relationships and Sardar's own missteps led to the end of his West Bromwich Albion career. West Brom boss Tony Pulis and a fresh West Brom hierarchy, much changed to the one that Sardar knew and had clashes with, decided it was time for Sardar to move on. They accepted a twelve million pound bid from Stoke. I, I remember that day pretty well. I was yeah, I was at home chilling. Bear in mind, I've got six months left to my contract, so I, I don't know what was going to happen in my career. And then when I got the call to look, we've accepted a bid from Stoke. Go, and I was like, um, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean, you just like they kind of forced it on me, just go, and yeah. I have no saying. And in my head, I was just like, okay, new beginning, you know. Yeah. I'm going to try and just clean start, clean slate. Let me go out there and do my all for the first. Okay. Try back to playing and enjoying it again. So um, for me, I look at it as this. Look, I've been an academy player for West Brom. Yeah. My craft there. They did so much for me and my family. And the thing I could repay them back with was that fee, the 12 million. But at the same time, it was, it was... It was like a, a horrible divorce marriage where mm. everything went so great and then all of a sudden, boom, one apart ways and we parted ways really, really bad. I didn't even get to say bye to any of my teammates mm. at, at West Brom because I was at home and, and I just went straight. So it just was, it the was contract. a horrible, yeah, it was, a, it was a horrible ending, really horrible ending. Do you, how do you look back on I still hate. Yeah, how do you look back on Stoke? What what was that like um, moving there? Obviously, there's that stereotype of the wet and windy Wednesday on, in Stoke and uh, sort of the infamous football they might have played. How do you look back on your Stoke career on the whole? I look back at it personally. I would say um, it wasn't the the move for me because it didn't it didn't work out. And yeah. for me, leaving West Brom, like the change room was so tight. We were like almost like brothers. To leave that change room to go to a change room where it was more individual players, foreign players, individual mm. players which just cared about themselves. Um, it was really difficult for me as a youngster being used to being around players that we we, we talk a lot, you know what I mean? We, we know about each other's lives a lot. To a change room where it was almost like peace or quiet, I do my job, go home. Yeah. I do my job, go home. I find it difficult and... It was wrong. It was a wrong move for me, just simply because I kind of lost that brotherly hood mm. from West Brom. So I couldn't get myself going. He didn't have <coughs> that. Couldn't score and settle in as well. So yeah, it was a difficult, difficult moment for me, man. The Stoke move didn't work out for Sardar Berahino. It was a bad match, as he said himself. Unfortunately for Sardar, he achieved one of the longest goal-scoring droughts in modern history. And couldn't figure it out for a long time. As we heard at the top of the dock, for Sido, the most important thing was to find himself again and find peace away from the English scrutiny. In good performances in Belgium meant that we just had to ask the question: Would you ever return? I don't think a lot of people know this. I was close to coming back when Darren Moore was there. 
Oh, really? Uh, he made it, yeah, he actually made an inquiry about me to stalk at the time on loan, to come back on loan. Mm-hmm. Um, Darren was absolutely up for it, um, called me in. I remember it was like the last week of the window. And Stoke just turned around and said, look, we can't let him go. If he comes to you guys and start banging goals, how would that look with our fans? Yeah, I was that close to coming back and I was up for it. I was still, I'm still up for it now, mate, trust me. Um, yeah. And me and Morrison banter about it a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he's, he's, the, he's the first thing coach there, I believe so. So we know he almost reunited with Darren Moore at West Bromwich Albion. A clear transfer target for the affectionately. And in 2021, Big Dave got his man, and Sada Berahino made his return, signing for Sheffield Wednesday on a one-year deal on a free transfer. Sada Berahino returned to English football in League One, the third division of English football, ready to prove a point and make his mark on the English game. Has the move stuck? Has it worked out for Sheffield Wednesday and Sada Berahino? Will the documentary have a satisfying end, or will it be another low for? To find out, I sat down with Joe Cran, who covers Sheffield Wednesday for the So Joe, Sido's coming from Belgium, he's had a fair few years out of the English game, uh, and he's signing for Sheffield Wednesday. What was your initial reaction uh, when you heard about the Berahino signing? It was, um, it was, it always, it felt a little bit exciting because, uh, you know, when, when you're sort of down in League One, I think there was, there was always this idea that we were going to sign a lot of players that were, um, nondescript is harsh but you know what I mean like you're going to sign players that, that were going to be you know good league one footballers but weren't necessarily big names and then Sido, Sido's name cropped up and you thought hang on a second this is you know this guy was playing the Premier League not that long back and I know he's had he's obviously had a bit of a checkered pass recently in terms of things haven't gone too great for him but he, he, he sort of it sounds like he he grew up quite a lot when he was when he was out in Belgium and he he, he came back and I think for a lot of Wednesday fans, it felt like this is a bit of a um, it's a bit of a risk, but it's it's one that people were willing to take because you know he'd been out of English football for a little while, and it felt like one of those that it could go brilliantly, it it might not work out, and because he was he was brought in as a as a free, because obviously we we weren't allowed to pay transfer fees, so you know he came in as a free transfer, and it, it felt like it was a bit of a low risk, potentially high reward, and he took some time to get settled, but. When when he did when he first came in, I think it was a mix amongst the fan base. It was a mix of, oh, this is a bit of a, it's a bit of an odd one, but we'll take it and see how it see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a factor of taking some time out of the English game and coming back, and it is a big adjustment to adjust to that again. You know, especially with his relationship with the media. You know, listeners would have heard earlier in the documentary. Um, and if you if they'd listened to the the interview where the things are taken from, you know it was about taking that distance and having to get his head yeah. straight, um, and you know they again there's a clip of the documentary. It was uh, Darren Moore who wanted to bring him back to the Albion at one point. You know he had everything agreed, uh, just Stoke blocked it because he was, you know for lack of a better word, quite poor for Stoke, and they felt if he left, went to West Brom and started playing some really good football. You know, how would that go down with the fans? So it was good that Darren Moore finally got his man. And it was, you know, kind of a vote of confidence for him to leave. Uh, where he was, he was performing quite well in Belgium uh, and come to you guys and on a free, probably a pay cut. Uh, has, has it fared out well? Are the, are the fans taken to him? Has there been any controversy? 
No, no, not at all. There's been no controversy whatsoever. Um, he, he obviously, like I say, he took a little bit of time, and, and Darren, Darren was quick to point out that he needed, he needed that sort of period to get used to English football again, the sort of the rigors of it, the intensity of it, um, and he obviously, look, he, he played, he was playing sort of bits and bats at the start of the season, and it didn't really seem to fall into place for him yet. But Darren, he, he kept speaking about him, him needing this time, and. You know, you know. I'm, I'm sure as a West Brom fan, it was the same. He, he speaks a lot about sort of volume and minutes in his legs and all that kind of stuff. And it, he, he, he did take a little bit of time to get to get into that. I think he scored in his second game. He scored against Shrewsbury, and people were like, "Oh, this, yeah, this is it now." But then, yeah, he, he got a, he got an assist away at um, away at Cambridge a little bit later on as well. But he really burst to life in the new year. It was it was it was almost like he'd had this time to. Um, to get himself settled, to get himself around players that he knew knew how how to work with, um, and and Darren Darren said that he saw things in him that were coming back. You know, there was little bits to his game that he felt he was missing when he first came came back over, and he started to you know he started to get there. I think he's got um, ten goals and assists since the turn of the year. So you know he's he's yeah he's. He's become a little bit of a cult figure now as well. You know, you, you look into the Wednesday fan, the Wednesday crowd, especially at away games, and you, you know, there's kids in, in draped in in Burundi flags and stuff like that now, which is which is great to see. Obviously, the the um, the, the Cambridge game at home was the big one. You know, at trick and an assist in that game, almost a perfect performance from him. Um, he, he obviously he went away on on Burundi duty as well um, in in March, so. That was a, a little bit of a, a break in his rhythm, I suppose, from from club football. But he's done what he needed to do. He scored against MK Dons in a massive game for Wednesday uh, earlier in in April, and I, I think, you know, based on what's happened in the second part of the season, I think Wednesday fans, a lot of them, would be, you know, absolutely delighted if he if he stuck around for next season. Well, especially if he got up, that could be another boost to his game. Different type of football. It's still quite aggressive in, in the championship but you know if you're playing under Darren Moore the way we know he likes to play then there will be that time off a decider whether he's you know he doesn't play up front as much his game has changed a, a lot since he was last in English football he is a bit more of a central player a bit more of a 10 but I don't know how he's been deployed um, at Sheffield Wednesday but I don't think he'd be out of place if he was a, a bit deeper as well so when you're calling on players like him and experience like Barry Bannon you could be fairly well set uh, to go into the championship. Um, do you know? Are, are the, is their relationship well with the players? Is he getting on with them? Uh, and you know, what's it like for him moving? Has he moved to Sheffield? I, I'm not actually sure where he's where he's living, but his his relationship with the players seems to be really strong. To be honest, it seems like a really good group at Wednesday this season. That I think there was a lot of there's there's been a lot said at Wednesday about. Um, about last season, and it felt like some some players in there sort of threw the towel in early. Um, you obviously had the, the point deductions and all that kind of stuff, uh, and it felt like a lot of them sort of down, not down tools. You know, it's probably a bit harsh, but it just felt like they weren't necessarily up for it. And I, I don't think that that sat too well with some of the some of the other guys. And this season, it does feel like Darren's got them all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you know. Sad has been part of that. You know, he he seems to be really well liked. There's a great picture of him after he got his hat trick at Cambridge, where he's surrounded by, I think it's Barry Bannon and Jack Hunt, and they they just seem to be a really sort of tight knit group. And 
And Sarah's been a part of that. Part of that. I've, I've been lucky enough to speak to him after a couple of games. Uh, I know that, like you say, he's 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 not a massive fan of the media. I don't think, but um, when we spoke to him, he's been he's been brilliant. He's been very open, very honest, and and he he's he's a good talker. You know, it's nice to speak to people who are you know bit like open like that. And I think with with Sido, he he settled in nicely. He seems to be happy. Seems to be enjoying his football, um, and and I do think that you would see a little bit. More from him in the in the championship as well because you're not getting clattered every five minutes. I mean, playing at Wickham away, he um, he didn't get a sniff. You know, he he just got he just got battered all over the place. By I think Tafazoli and I can't remember the other centre back was it uh, was on the day, but yeah, they he didn't get any joy. But th- there's been a lot of games where little touches have, have shown that bit of class that he's got. You know, the way that he, he brings the ball down and flicks it and rolls his man and that kind of thing and. And I think that he is a player that, with with more time, with you know, because he's obviously got Darren Moore's confidence. They, you know, I think that's a big factor. I, I don't think, I don't think you know, joining Sheffield Wednesday without without Darren Moore there. Oh, and I, I think I that, really, that that confidence really is massive. Yeah, I think you know, speaks to him about how Darren Watt did back at the Albion, thinking he can get the best out of him. It was clearly something that. He had in his mind when he found, you know, Sardaberry you know, was available. He thought I can get the best out of him in a league where he might, you know, on his day he's the best player in this, this division. And we've seen that a hat trick and an assist is, is fantastic in any division, um, especially in one such uh, as a physical one as League One. And now my question is, has that relate? Well, it seems the answer is obvious, but that relationship with Darren Moore and Sardaberry you know, that's clearly benefited Sheffield Wednesday and given the team a bounce. Yeah, yeah, I think it feels like Darren has a good relationship with everybody. You know, he, you speak to any of the players, and and they they love him. You know, they love working with him. You know, he's he is. It feels like he is a, you know, a players manager. You know, he knows exactly how to deal with different players. He, he seems to he seems to know when to put an arm around the shoulder, and he'll never do it publicly. But I think he, he knows when to have a bit of a pop at him as well. Um, you know. It's, you you will never ever hear Darren Moore criticise one of his players, you know, publicly. But I'm sure in the change room behind the scenes, there's there's been words at different parts of the season. I know that he he said he had a few choice words with him after the the big win at Fleetwood. So um, I think that with 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 Sido, he he knows how to deal with him. Um, I think Sido knows what he's getting from Darren, and I think that you know in a in a in a league campaign, I'm sure. I'm sure he'd like to have, have got more goals, got more assists, but you know, seven goals, four assists in League One uh, in his in his first season back when he has only you know he's only played 28 games. So I I, I think that his return's been been good, and uh, he's uh, as far as I know he's got an option on his contract. And yeah, I would be very surprised at this point if if that's not exercised. Thank you.
Unfortunately, Sheffield Wednesday failed to make it to the championship. They reached the playoffs semi-final but lost. There is lots of hope, however, that Sido will stay for another year. Keep on getting better, getting more adjusted to the English game once more. And who knows what the future holds for him. What we do know is that Berahino made some mistakes. Whether they were entirely his fault or not is another question. But he himself will acknowledge that these missteps affected his playing career and have delayed his potential ascent in English football. Though as you have heard, Sido has changed. He's a father. He's a fully grown man and the captain of his national team. He's made the necessary changes so that he can be a better footballer, but also a better person. Putting his mental health first at times, he started to forge a career that he could be proud of. Once a child from a war-torn country, this professional athlete is working hard and changing perceptions that some may hold against him from his immature times at West Bromwich Albion. Who knows what the future holds for the redeemed footballer, Sido Berahino.